Hey, baseball fans, and welcome to the uh, latest episode of an NL Central podcast. Uh, my name is Eric Roseberry of Red Reporter, uh, and I'm here tonight uh, talking with uh, Alex Crisofoli of Viva Albertos. Alex, you want to say hi? Hey, everybody. All right, and uh, with us, we've also got uh, Pirates fan Rob Maines, uh, who contributes to Baseball Prospectus and Banished to the Pen. Uh, say hi to everyone, Rob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our Cubs Free uh, podcast. As much as I would like it to be, we might not be able to, to get around it. So to catch everyone up with where we're at, uh, the standings as they sit, and this was before the end of Thursday night's games, uh, the Cubs with a resounding lead at 37-15, and 15, Pirates in second at 29-23, and 23, uh, the Cardinals uh, above 500 at 28-26, and 26, Brewers checking in at 24-29, and 29, uh, and coming in hot off the heels of their 11-game losing streak. The eighteen and thirty-five Cincinnati Reds. So with with a with an MLB worst negative one hundred and five run differential. Uh, so it's been fun. Can I give you guys some some fun facts real quick? Please. Fire away. Here's here's the Reds land that I'm living in right now. As a team, the Cubs have allowed one hundred and forty-eight runs, and the Reds bullpen has allowed one hundred and fifty-one on the season. Excellent. Uh, they have given up 322 total runs, the only team to crack 300 at this point. Uh, they currently have a bullpen ERA of 6.69, which is a full run worse than the next worst team. Uh, and the bullpen has given up 42 home runs, and the next worst is 30. Oh. So, Wait, what's the next worst, 30? 31, the Rangers. Okay. A full 11 worse out of the bullpen, and Alfredo Simons doing the night, so I'm already chalking this one up as a loss. So that's probably all we'll talk about Reds. Yeah, I, I got a, a pirate fun fact that I just witnessed. They're playing the Marlins as we're recording this. And were there not the protective screen behind home plate, I think a David Freeze foul ball would have just taken out Marlins, man. <laughs> it's headed right to him. That may be his dream someday, to <laughs> finally be in the game. That would have made... Uh... Some people very happy and some people sad. He, he's he's very polarizing for a guy who really does nothing but go yeah. but go to baseball games. I, feel, we, but, I think we talked about this at one point. Is it what does he do? He is a uh, he, he's an attorney or he he was an attorney and I believe I, I read something on him. I thought he came away to me as a very likable guy after I read this, but he I believe had a health scare. Okay. And after that, he basically said, you know what, I'm going to live the rest of my life doing what I want to do. Um, and so I don't know if he quit being an attorney or if he's still an attorney on the side, but it sounds like he is now spending whatever money he made being an attorney uh, jetting around to all these places um, to go to sporting events. And, you know, I think that's kind of cool. That's not a bad life. No. No. I don't. I I have no ill will towards him. Can uh, since we all did a fun fact, can I do a quick fun fact? Yeah. I don't know if it's a fun fact. Really, I just thought it was surprising. So you tell me if you all think this is surprising. So you were talking about how the Reds aren't very good. Right. The Reds are probably going to lose less than seventy games. Right. Easily. Wait. Maybe not easily, but less than seventy. So like sixty-nine or less. Win less than seventy. Yes, yes. What did yeah. I say? Lose? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry. They're going to win. They're going to win 69 yeah. games or less. Uh, yeah. Most likely. Yeah. So I was just messing around on baseball reference today, and I don't know if this is weird or not or if this is impressive or not. You all, you all tell me it certainly seemed impressive to me, but the Cardinals have only lost less than 70 games once since 1955. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, I think that's cool. That's an impressive set, right? Yes. And obviously not including uh, years that where there was a work stoppage. I, and then the only other team, the Dodgers had also only had one season like that. I believe it was in like 92 or something. And the Red Sox and Yankees each had two. And every other team had multiple seasons where they had had lost, had only won um, games, had only won 69 games or less. Uh I don't know. I, I just thought that was really – it shocked me. 
Yeah, I, I I saw that tweet and I I had the same response. I thought that was a good one. Good, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one who enjoyed it then. <laughs> well, now that we're all fun fact caught up, uh, one thing uh, we wanted to touch base with, uh, as we said, Rob's a Pirates fan. I, I don't remember if it was uh, within the last week, but within the last two weeks, uh, the Pirates were playing the Diamondbacks, right, Rob? Yep. Uh, why don't you set the scene for us with the uh, controversial events of that day? Okay, now this actually, the bad blood between these two teams goes back to 2013. But this is 1615. No, 2014, when Ernesto Frieri, who was then with the Pirates, this is in a, I think an August game, might have been early September, hit Paul Goldschmidt with a pitch. Um, Goldschmidt stayed in the game, but turned out uh, it had broken his hand. He was out for the rest of the season. The next game, in the in his last at bat, Randall Delgado drilled Andrew McCutcheon in the back with a 98 mile an hour fastball. And if I remember right, McCutcheon he either missed some time or he had to go on the DL. But that was viewed as retaliation. So there's been bad blood between them. In this game that that um, that Eric's talking about, uh, Pirates were winning. Archimedes Caminero came in. And Caminero this year has been like Frieri was a couple years ago. He's throwing the ball really hard somewhere in the general direction of home plate, but nobody really knows where it's going. He's been he's been awful this year. And he hit Gene Segura in the face with a pitch. And um, the next inning, Evan Marshall hit David Freese, and after – after that, Caminero hit Nick Ahmed also in the head, and he was ejected at that point. Now, personally, I think it was irresponsible for the Pirates to have kept Caminero in the game after he hit one guy in the head. But after Freese got hit in what really looked like retaliation, and that's something that there's been between the clubs, um, the uh, Pirates announcer Tim Brown made a comment about how Tony La Russa is, what is he, president of the Diamondbacks, and that this was something we used to see uh, with him in his past. Well, it turns out that between innings, somehow Larusa got wind of this, left the uh, the general manager suite, and came up to the Pirates uh, broadcast booth and had a loud argument with the Pirates broadcaster for having said that. And no one would have known about this except Larusa then went to the the paper, the Arizona Central, and talked about how he wanted to correct it because it's a misconception. He doesn't like when people say inaccurate things about him. And that prompted the Pirates announcer the next day to talk about this confrontation and how he had always kind of stood up for La Russa, but he thought that this sort of, you know, coming into the booth and yelling was out of line. And it just, you know, it kind of the reputation that LaRusse has gotten the last few years, I think this kind of enhanced it. The What I did to look up was, you know, fact is, I'm, I'll freely admit, I'm not a LaRusse fan. You guys know I go to the Sabre Analytics Conference every year. A couple of years ago, he spoke and basically was on a panel while he was being interviewed. He basically trolled everybody in the audience, talked about how, you know, Sabre metrics, it's a nice idea, but you don't use it in the game. And you got to go go more by gut, and you know if you're invited to speak someplace, you don't insult your host. But that's sort of what he did. What I'll say in Larusa's defense is, I looked at his record with the White Sox, A's, and um, Cardinals, specifically how many batters those teams hit when he was there versus when he left. And there's no clear pattern that they became headhunters or you know HBP artists when. He, he was around, and then they stopped being so when he left. There are a couple cases where it kind of looked like it, but others where it didn't. So, you know, whether this allegation of retaliation, which isn't necessarily the same thing as hitting guys with pitches, is true or not, um, I think the general feeling was that entering the other team's broadcast booth during a game is probably not a good look. <laughs> Alex, does this sound like the Tony yeah. Russo you know and love? Well... Yeah, um, what was, I, I want to say about what Rob just said, I, I'm glad the way he told the story did, because he kept saying Tony LaRusa entered the booth, right? And I think that's a very neutral way of describing what happened, because honestly, 
I don't know how he how he got into the booth or what his temperament was like when he went into the booth. But if you read the articles online, there's two words that are used. Either he stormed into the booth or he barged into the booth. And that that gives it a that gives an impression that it was a very heated conversation where I haven't really read anything that it was actually a a heated conversation. Rob, have you? I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying the headlines and stuff that he he stormed into the booth and, you know, threw the guy's headset off and they got in a huge argument. Whereas as far as I know, he may have just walked into the booth and said, hey, I disagree with what you said. Can we talk about this? Now, the yes. Larusa we all know and love, it's very easy to believe he did storm barge or whatever you want to call it into the booth. But I'm, I was just curious if it was, if this was a case of the headlines making it sound different than it actually was. Uh, Greg, I think I said Tim Brown, Greg Brown is the, the pirate announcer. He was quoted as saying, well, he said on the air, mm-hmm. um, Standing there alongside none other than Tony LaRusso, who was really upset with what I had said. I took my headset off. I went back. I took this heated discussion behind mm. the curtain here. So okay. we would not be in so we would not be in public view. Okay. So there you go. All right. So I didn't do enough research on it. That so it it was definitely a, Well, this is this is dead spin, so I don't know if it qualifies as research. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a heated conversation, but we don't know if he stormed into the booth. He could have gently walked into the booth and then it, then it got stormy i don't know it yeah I, I will say about Larusa, he made me uncomfortable a few times as a cardinals manager just the way he would stew when he felt his when he felt the cardinals had kind of been you know wronged when i think the smart thing would have been you know just let it go you are making you are you are the one turning this into a big deal not the other team but I will say, I can't recall many instances of headhunting. There were definitely payback pitches, but I can't remember yeah. a Cardinals pitcher on order, you know, not talking about a ball that got away, but where it was very obvious that a Cardinals pitcher threw at a guy above the waist. Right. Yeah, and that, that's what Brown was talking about was retaliation, not, yeah. not retaliation okay. by throwing a guy's head. Okay, so in that in that instance, and I think Brown has an absolute. I think he's correct. I mean, I, I for all the years I watched the Cardinals with Larusa, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a common thing. Like like you said, Rob, I don't think it was. I, I think the reputation was a bit larger than perhaps it, than it was deserved. But the reputation was there for a reason. Larusa didn't let slights go, and if he thought, if he thought there was a reason to retaliate, he would do it. I mean, there was a whole book written about it. If you've ever read Three Nights in August by Buzz Bissinger, that's what a large part of the book is about, kind of LaRusa stewing back and forth about how to handle certain situations like this. So he definitely had that reputation. Because I'm wondering how much of it was prior reputation, how much of it is he's with an organization now that's kind of been known to do stuff like this. And if all that together just kind of escalated people's perception of him. Well, I think anytime you have a demeanor like he has, which is a guy who doesn't seem like he's that much fun to be around kind of crotchety kind of really crass isn't the right word, but really, um, he has a lot of tense moments with the media. A- anytime someone has that sort of persona or attitude, I think that only um, enhances enhances their reputation. The minute they're also seen as a guy, as a manager who likes to protect his players or, or you know, send a message. Right. Because, cause ju- I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I can think of sometimes when Madden, not necessarily with the Cubs, but with the Rays, um, a few games with the Red Sox, where there were some questionable pitches on the race standpoint. Um, I'm thinking of, I guess, Ortiz. But, you know, Madden doesn't have that reputation because he's a jovial right. guy. He's a guy you would like to probably sit down and hang out with, whereas Larusa is not a guy I want to sit down and hang out with. Right. Wasn't there a situation with the Cubs and the Cards last year? Yeah. Where a bunch the, of guys got, got hit? Yeah. 
there was. It was the series, I believe, in September, so one of the yeah. last games of the season. And there were, uh, I don't remember, it was a three-game series. I don't remember how many players were hit, but I would say total close to seven. Um, and and that was when, after game two of that series, Madden gave, I believe it was after game two, gave his like, oh, these vigilantes over there. Um, you know, I've never read the Cardinals way, which is actually hilarious because he actually, he actually has read the Cardinals way. Cause there's an old quote of him talking about, I read the Cardinals way and this is what I learned and this is what I teach to people. Um, and, and he was kind of being, um, he was kind of putting on a show a little bit. The, the Cardinals were no more out of line than, um, the Cubs, in my opinion, with what was happening. Right. Cubs fans might disagree. Um, but yeah, yeah, exa- Exactly. He he's not that he's he's not at all immune to these sort of dust ups either. But he doesn't have that attitude. He doesn't have that reputation because he's he's an enjoyable guy. Right. Uh, a little off topic, but Rob, are you aware the Pirates have been no hit through six innings? Uh you know, and I'm watching this game too. Yeah, I guess they have been. <laughs> so I just got the MLB update and flipped it over. So this might be uh, fun to have on in the background while we're talking, but. Yeah, they've been hit. So, okay, it would be a two-hitter if the Marlins weren't playing Ichiro in center. He's made two sensational quest catches, one coming in and one going back. Yeah, I guess those were walks because he, he saved uh, at least one run in the first or second with the, with this great just-off-the-ground diving catch. But, yeah, I guess those weren't hits. Yeah, I don't know how many pitches Chin's at, but... Uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Speaking of the Pirates, uh, Rob, uh, one thing I uh, wanted to run by you. Uh, I was reading, catching up on the Joe Sheehan newsletter this week, which if you don't subscribe to that, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, but he mentioned the Pirates along with the Cubs, and now the right the, the Red Sox would be in this category, as which I didn't realize, one of the best on-base percentage teams in baseball and I mean, he kind of tracked it through the whole season and said if these teams stay on this pace uh this is a pretty crazy pace the pirates are on uh i don't know if most people would just naturally assume that but what's been going on with the pirates offense this season yeah going into play tonight red sox were at 360 the pirates and cubs were at 354 it's going into play thursday um and the pirates are being no hit through six and the cubs you know, kind of destroyed the Dodgers, so that's not going to stay there. But nobody else, the next team then is the Cardinals, way back at 337. So those three have really been leading by a lot. Well, the the Pirates, in the case of the Pirates, their on-base percentage is really a product, I'd say, of two things. One is they got a lot of hitters who are just doing better this year. Gregory Polanco has become kind of the hitter everyone expected him to be rather than barely average right fielder. Um, Jordy Mercer and the two guys you know, at, at short and second, Jordy Mercer and um, Josh Harrison have been having good years. The biggest personnel change has been the movement of uh, from first base had Pedro Alvarez, who was kind of a low OBP, uh, you know, sort of two true outcomes guy because he didn't walk that much. For And now they got John Jaso there, who has always been a walks machine, one of the few first basemen in recent memory that leads off but because he's great at getting on base and the only guy in the lineup who really hasn't been hitting the way that people expect him to is McCutcheon you figure he'll come around so yeah they've become a real on base team so you know I think there's a lot there's a parallel between the Pirates and the Cardinals is that going into the season you figure well they got okay hitting but really pitching is what's going to keep them afloat and both of them their pitching staffs have been sort of uh unspectacular disappointing and the hitting is really what's uh kept kept them going but that's that's i think what's been going on with the pirates um whether they can keep it up um they've had uh, some guys get up get off to what i'd say is kind of uncharacteristically hot starts so even if a guy like mccutcheon comes around i don't know if we're going to see the likes of jordy mercer continue to hit as well as he's been doing so far yeah, the uh, Reds OBP is 290, third worst than baseball. So uh, pitching's bad and the hitting's bad. Yeah. And David, I see David Freeze has almost a 380 on base percentage. That's really – that's a yeah, shock. Yeah, yeah, Mercer's Mercer's on base is 348. 
Freeze is 377. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch here. Matt Joyce, who really looked like, I mean, he, he looked like he was done last year, right? He's been, he's got a 328, 463, 64, 641 line. So, and you know, oh. that, that is probably not sustainable. Polanco, Marte, they're a couple good hitters, though, so they could uh, keep up there. Rob, can I ask you a question? Yeah. And I'm curious on uh, what you think of this, too, Eric. It's, it's more about the, the Cardinals. But I wrote today about how the Cardinals have, have a plus 52 run differential, which is third best in the National League and I think fifth best in all of baseball. And then, you know, their Pythag win percentage is also, I think, third best in the National League. What does that mean, if anything, right now, in your opinion? This is a Rob question. Okay. That well, that hang on, I'm looking up something as as uh, we're talking. But first guess that they've been a little unlucky. I mean, early in the season, if you have a 14 to one blowout and then you lose a couple games by a run, it looks like you should be doing a lot better, and that's probably not the case. But long term, you tend not to see really big um, deviations from those Pythag numbers. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm looking up here, BP does a great job on their website of, um, of, uh, you know, sort of, sort of looking at standings adjusted for sort of run scoring and also sequencing. And in the central, um, man, the Cubs are good. <laughs> the central central uh, yeah their their projections all the all they're kind of based on runs or sequence of hits and everything like that the cup should actually be better but by their projections the cardinals are almost a 600 club and the bucks are more like a 540 club so they've been i'd say so far cardinals have been a little unlucky would be the way that i'd put it oh okay I didn't know St. Louis is under 500 at home. Yeah, it, that's that's been a bit of a shocker. I mean, I, I mean, I guess they've dominated in the last couple of years at home um, more so than is the norm for for teams to win at home. Um, but you know, it's still so early in the season. To, I mean, I still say it's still so early. We're a third of the way through the season, but you know, I. What are they? One game under 500 at home? Uh, two. Two? Okay. And I'm trying to think. You know, they've played six games against the Cubs at home, three games against the Nationals, three games against the Pirates. Um, I'm trying to think who else who else they've had at home. You know, I, I believe the Dodgers. So, you know, they, they've had a tough schedule so far at home. But, yeah, hopefully that can flip-flop a little bit in the remainder of the season. Well, uh, speaking of how dominant the Cubs have been, Alex, you wanted us to uh, guess how many games they're going to win this season? Yeah, and I, I want it to be kind of like Price is Right in that I don't know how we're going to decide the order to go, but if someone else picks your the number you had planned on picking, you have to you have to go with something else. Okay. So um, since it was my idea, I'll go last. Uh, <laughs> Eric, just because your name is uh, comes comes before Rob's, why don't you start us off, then Rob, and then I'll go, and then okay. uh, yeah, if we can remember to uh, to touch base at the end of the season, see who's the closest. Uh, yeah, we can do this. Uh, how many games the Cubs will end up winning? First off, repeat their record again. Was it thirty-seven? They're, they're thirty-seven and fifteen. They have a okay. seven-twelve winning percentage. All right. Um. I'll go 105. I'll go yeah. 5 That was my number. You know, because I was – doesn't it feel like they came out the gate going crazy, and in May they were really good but sort of more like your normal really good team? In May they still played at a 104 win pace. They're, they're, they're really a good club. Okay, I'm going to then – I, what, well, I'm not going to get cute. I'm going to say 106 then. 
<laughs> okay. I, I'm going to say 104. That, and that was my original. <laughs> oh, good. We have 104, 105, 106. Right. So no one's going to pick them to break the Mariners record? That well, that would be, well, 117 wins. Oh, I should have looked that up. Yeah. No, I don't feel comfortable picking uh, any team to win 117, <laughs> especially, you know, there's some – they have enough games in the NL Central against the Pirates and Cardinals who, who they've dominated uh, so far this year. But they have enough, game against, enough games against those teams, you know, the good teams in the NL East and – I, I just can't imagine them steamrolling through the league like that. So as of today, they're on a 115-win pace. My gosh. <laughs> Ish. What's wrong with – I've only watched a couple of their games, and even if I'd watched all their games, I probably wouldn't be able to identify it. What's wrong with Jason Hayward right now? I know he hit a home run today, but his numbers are awful. His slugging's like sub-300 right now. He had a WRC plus, I believe, of 69 uh, going into today. You probably watched him more than I have. Is that has this been a huge shock to you after watching him last season? Uh, a little bit. The slow start wasn't. Um, you know, I, I it didn't seem that shocking until a couple weeks ago when I looked at his stats and realized he was still hitting like that. Um, you know, this is no longer first three weeks of the season he i'm gonna look up his stats right now um but he, why are you looking that up did, did you guys see the game where he made that unbelievable catch in center and then came out of the game and yeah. i think he had what like a rib or hip injury or something yeah i'm wondering whether that that might be assisting so i didn't see the i saw the highlight of course um and that was what about two weeks ago a week and a half yeah. ago um, okay, so I'm, I'm going to say it here real quick. I don't know if the, this is from Fangrass. I don't know if it includes his home run today. It doesn't look like it does. But he's hitting 222, 321, 287 with a WRC plus of 71. Um, s- still is worth uh, 0.4 wins. Um, that's what a – he's actually still getting on base. You know, so he's hitting 222, but he he's getting on base still at a 321. You know, he's – He's he has a 12.2 um, walk rate, so he's it, it doesn't seem it seem to be a plate discipline problem. Right. He's striking out a lot, but I, I just wasn't sure if if anyone's read anything that says you know he, his his swing has always been kind of a bit weird, but I wasn't sure if there was something even more going on this year. With the with the reputation Madden has as a manager, does it kind of surprise you he's still hitting him second? Is he still hitting him second? I I Is believe that okay. yeah, um, still... I I I never try to speculate on these things because I, I I think a lot of this stuff is decided kind of behind clubhouse doors in terms of the managers know the personalities. Maybe there's something Madden knows about Hayward. That or or thinks he knows about Hayward, thinking, well, if I drop him, that's not going to do anyone any favors. You know, he's he's fine. He's going to pick it up soon. Um, but that said, yeah, it, for for such an important spot in the lineup, that's really bad production. It has not appeared to hurt him too much. You talking about the Cubs? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's what's completely well, because I mean, you look at kind of team OBP. I mean, Zobrist is. 439, Fowler's 435. Like, they're getting some crazy numbers from some guys. Yeah, I'm just telling you, Hayward was complaining about a wrist earlier in the season. Right. And see, the thing is, you know, we know about the injuries that put guys on the DL, but we don't know about the nagging things that, you know, they probably don't want anybody to know about except uh, their manager and their trainer. Yeah. So it, it would not surprise either of you if it comes out later he was playing through some stuff these past few months? Not at all. And speaking yeah. of that, what was the official injury on the um, the San Francisco thing? I'm, I think it was a rib. I think Rob's right. Okay. But, it was hard to tell because 
he kind of disappeared into the wall. You couldn't tell where he landed or what hit what. Um, you know, at first glance, sorry, there's a helicopter. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you all can hear that. Cool. That's DC for you. Um, at first glance, you know, it, it looked like it could have been really bad. Like maybe his head went into the wall or something. Yeah. That doesn't be the case. Great catch, though. Yeah, I mean, for what he's still providing, I mean, he can offset that a little better than somebody else probably could struggling at the plate like that. But, uh, well, last uh, kind of transition a little bit. Last topic, uh, if you listen to the uh, Effectively Wild episode with Carson Sestouli, uh, they talked about Carson's recent TV broadcast rankings uh, where the, he broke down the uh, TV broadcast for every team. Uh, we thought we'd take a second, uh, just hear a little bit of your guys' opinions uh, on this. Uh, the Reds actually checked in at 28, so third. Were, so not only is the team terrible, but your your experience watching the team is terrible. Uh, but they checked in at 28. Tom Brenneman and Chris Welsh do the broadcast. Uh, admittedly, I don't watch. I'm blacked out where I'm at, so I usually just end up listening on the radio. Uh, People seem to like uh, Welsh as kind of a secondary guy. Uh, but, for example, one of the quotes on Brenneman, who's the son of radio guy Marty Brenneman. Uh, Brenneman displayed peak form last year during the Reds' umpteenth rain delay with a rant about how the time has come for MLB to consider mandating 30 domed stadiums. So that was what they had to go on for him. But the- well, now, now, Eric, we sh- we should note in fairness that the way that 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 uh, he does that poll, the Reds were twenty eighth, but they were twenty eighth out of thirty two because right. he split the home and away broadcast for the Dodgers oh. and the White Sox because um, Hawk Harrelson does only away for the White Sox and Vince Scully does only home for the Dodgers, home in San Diego. Okay. That is good to know. It, I feel a little better. But yeah. Alex, your Cardinals checked in not too much higher at 24. How do you feel about their TV broadcast? But frankly, I'm surprised they weren't last. <laughs> not, not because I have a huge problem with them, but I know how much, uh, especially Cardinals Twitter, really dislikes the Cardinals TV broadcast. Uh, main guy Dan McLaughlin is, is viewed pretty much uh, – he, he's pretty harmless, and I think that's how most people view him. In fact, some people like him, but um, Colorman, like uh, Al Herboski, has, has had a bad reputation for a while. Um, and he's usually, when he's out, he's usually subbed in by Ricky Horton, who also is not very popular. I, I, should, I should say up front that I have a pretty high tolerance for announcers, um, and even the bad ones don't don't bother me as much as they do most people. So I'm probably not, I probably don't have, I'm probably not on the pulse of most baseball fans when it comes to this stuff. Um, but I, I do see why people are annoyed by the Cardinals broadcast. They, they don't, they don't bring a ton to, to the table. Um, Herboski doesn't sound like he does much research before the game. Um, and now Herboski was doing Cardinals game games when I was little, so maybe he's he just kind of checked out at this point. Um, Ricky Horton can he can say some things that come off uh, socially as tone deaf sometimes. Um, if there is a if there is a nice part of the Carlos broadcast, believe it or not, it's when Tim McCarver does games. And I'm going to have to explain that to people. I, I will explain it to you. So, <laughs> so since, since 2014, McCarver has, has been doing Cardinals games. I don't know. I, I don't think he's retired or anything. And, and like, this is like kind of what he's doing, partial retirement. I think it was just an opportunity that was uh, tendered to him after he, after he left Fox. And, and he took it. But what I'll say in McCarver's defense is this. He has an amazing memory. And... There could be a foul ball during a Cardinals game, and he will rattle off a memory from 1964 when Kurt Flood hit the ball in the exact same spot. He will say things that you know aren't written down in front of him, 
they couldn't be because there are things that are happening during the game. And he will bring up some wonderful anecdote about Mike Shannon, you know, or Bob Euchre when, you know, when he was rooming with Bob Euchre back, you know, way back in the 60s. Uh, and it really, as a Cardinals fan, makes broadcast enjoyable. Uh, I, I think he's great. Where, where he's not so great is, uh, and this doesn't bother me, but I know it bothers a ton of people. Um, he, he will, you know, as McCarver is wont to do, he complains about the shift a lot. Um, certain things like that. And he, he'll have an opinion sometimes about sabermetrics where he says, like, you know, I'm more interested in the human element of the game, which, you know, I, I think we would all agree, like, those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Like, just because you are in the sabermetrics doesn't mean you don't have any vested interest at all in the human element of the game. Um, so that would probably be the biggest complaint about McCarver. But overall, he's fantastic. I, I'm really I've been really uh, pleasantly surprised how much I've enjoyed it when he does games. Oh, and, and one last thing. Jim Edmonds has been doing some games lately. And of all people I thought would not be good in the booth, he's actually pretty good. Okay. Yeah, let, let me just uh, back up what Alex said about McCarver. He used to do Mets games a while ago, and I thought he was fantastic. And my sense is that he kind of was mailing it in when he was doing the national games. I mean, he'd say stuff that just wasn't smart. And he was always smart with good insights uh, on the Mets games. Maybe he's, you know, kind of better on the in a situation where you're not looking at a different team every week or whatever. Yeah, I I always wondered if, and this isn't the right word that I'm about to use, but I don't know what else to use. If he was not necessarily if he was dumbing it down for the national audience because he knew he yeah. had more of the casual baseball fans watching, and so he felt more comfortable talking about baseball in a very general way you know maybe that's maybe that's like a disease that you get in new york because ron darling sure does that he's great in the mets games and he's he's as bad as they all are in the, the fox national broadcast that I, I agree with you guys i mean he doesn't bother me as you know some people seem to suggest but so rob out of the three of our teams the pirates tv broadcast got the best rating uh, where did they check in, and what did you think? Yeah, you know, remember how, uh, what was it, was it last week, that on Effectively Wild Sam made the comment that he thinks every team's fan base thinks that their shortstop should win the gold glove and that their closer is shaky? Yeah. Maybe maybe every fan base doesn't like the TV broadcasters, because I don't, you know, the Pirates broadcast team rated 15. And I'll be honest, I don't care for them that much. Um, Greg Brown here's my gripe with all of them. Everybody, the, the play-by, well, they have a new play-by-play uh, -play guy named Joe Block, but they, what the Pirates do is they switch guys between radio and TV, so everybody does a little bit of each of them. But the primary TV guys is play-by-play -play guys, play-by-play -play guys, Greg Brown, and he's fine. And in fact, when he gets excited, he's really kind of fun because he'll really, he'll really, um, kind of go crazy the color guys are all former pirates bob walk steve glass and john wayner wayner i think is the best of them but i don't care for any of them that much but what sets me off about the pirates broadcast is and i've written about this advantage to the pen pirates games have a lot of hit batters you know they they hit a lot of guys they get hit a lot and you know getting back to the LaRusse thing i don't like the idea of retaliation i think it's stupid i think that in contemporary baseball where you got a lot of guys throwing nearly 100 miles an hour we're like waiting for the next if not you know roy chapman then the next uh tony Knigliero. and so i just don't like seeing guys get hit by pitch and they all buy into this thing well you got to protect your players if you hit mccutcheon you got to hit their star and i often find myself at some point when in a game where there's more than one hit batter switching to watch the other clubs broadcast i'll be honest with you if they're playing the reds i'll probably keep watching the pirates though <laughs> and the thing that's a killer for all three of us is the two guys that aren't on the broadcast um you know those teams have great television who does the brewers tv it's oh well, it's euchre euchre does some he also does radio wait it'll it'll come to me um and the Pirates, or the Pirates, the, the Cubs have, what, it's 
Len Casper and uh, Deshays. Deshays, yeah. They're, they're really a blast. Um, I'm looking at Brewers right now. Yeah. By the way, the uh, the Pirates are not getting no hit. Chen's um, out of the game, but they're still losing uh, two. Okay, so the Pir- the Brewers, we have Bob Uecker entering his 46th season as broadcaster for his hometown team. We have Jeff Neighboring. Yeah, I think that's I think that's radio because I'm looking the the Tistuli's thing. It's Brian Anderson and Bill and Bill Schroeder, the former uh, yeah. former player. You're right. Yeah, I'm, you're right. I'm my fault. I screwed that up. I'm looking at it right now. Yep, Bill Schroeder and Brian Anderson. Yeah, they're good. And Euchre's fun to listen to. Yeah, Euchre's fantastic. thing I like about Euchre, like if I'm driving somewhere, because I have XM in my car, if I turn on a Brewers game, even if it's not a good game, He'll tell enough stories to make it entertaining. A lot of club, you know, if the team's behind nine to one, you start looking for another game to listen to. There was a uh, when the Cardinals played the Brewers earlier in the season. I forget how this happened, but at one point in the booth was Bob Euchre, Mike Shannon, Tim McCarver, and maybe Dan McLaughlin. I don't know, and maybe Dan McLaughlin. And for some reason, Bob Euchre brought a tuba with him. <laughs> And, That's not fair. And, and just and just listening to Mike Shannon go back and forth, because Mike Shannon's a very very funny guy as well. Not Bob Uecker yes. funny, but just in his own in his own way, he's a very funny guy. Um, and just listening to these old timers go back and forth was hilarious. Um, but I never could quite figure out why Bob Uecker had a tuba. Did he play it? <laughs> What's that? Did he play it? I think he blew into into it a couple times, um, but I don't remember. I, I think there was a reason, um, but I'm it's not really coming to me right now. I'm gonna Google it right now, see if I can come up with anything. Unless we want to cut this off right now. Oh, you you can look, but uh, while Alex is looking, uh, okay. I just found a pic. I'm gonna send you a picture. I'm gonna send you both the picture of uh, Mike Shannon and Bob Uecker in this tuba. I'm excited. <laughs> You don't. You don't tend to see a lot of tubas in baseball. No, no, and especially not in the broadcast booth. Um, I guess why would you? Uh, <laughs> okay, hold on. I Do you guys assume, by the way, that when they come out with the radio rankings, it's going to be the same thing? Brewers and Brewers and Cubs ahead of our three clubs. I actually hope the Cardinals are a little higher. Just for um, most Cardinals, because yeah, it's think, the fans, right, that are voting on this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, most I, Cardinals I agree fans, with that. I think there will be. Even though he doesn't necessarily call a very good game, it's just mostly just kind of like the way you love your uncle. Most Cardinals fans love Mike Shannon. I was going to say the same thing about the Reds. Uh, Marty Brenneman gets a lot of flack. And rightly, I mean, he's one of the guys that for a few seasons has led the Joey Votto should swing more. Why does he take so many walks? Bandwagon, uh, and maybe it was just because I mean, since I've been a Reds fan, since I've been alive, he's been the only guy doing radio play-by-play. So I've got a little bit of a soft spot for Marty. Yeah, Marty's not bad. I I have a hard time following the Cowboy when he's doing the play-by-play. He's you know what's going on. Yeah, he's been a little different. When it was Marty and Joe, I, I mean, that was the, the sweet spot yeah. for a lot of Reds fans. But, yeah, I don't know what the plan is for – because I know Marty just announced he's doing next season. I don't know what the plan is beyond that, but we'll see what happens. Wait, wait, Alex. Yeah. Is he autographing the tuba? Yeah, I, so he's autogra- – I'm reading it right now. He, he's autographing the tuba for Mike Shannon. Um, hold on. That Mike Shannon, for whatever reason, had bought at a pawn shop that Thursday and brought into the broadcasting booth for reasons unknown. Why not? Oh, okay. So here it is. Tim McCarver, the Cardinals' regular catcher then and a Cardinals telecaster now, had earlier remembered Bobby Euchre catching several fly balls with the tuba and then dumping them onto the field. I think this is back from their playing days. So I think Mike Shannon went out and bought a tuba knowing they were going to see Bob Euchre. 
And that's why Bob Euchre was autographing the tuba. That's all I got. I think that's the story there. Okay. When you see Wright pitching for the Red Sox, we see any knuckleballer. Don't you think of Euchre? Because of... Oh, the, the, that line of his said, what's the best way to uh, to catch a knuckleball? He said, wait until it stops rolling and then you pick it up. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah. Is that is that a real famous line? I guess I should know that. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, okay. well, I'll stick that one away because it has been fun watching Stephen Wright this season. So, um, well, we're about to hit the hour mark. Anything else you guys wanted to get into? Nope. Now, uh, oh, I know what I was going to mention. Um, in terms of standings, here's my bold prediction. I think that the Cardinals have a pretty decent shot of moving up ahead of the Pirates before this month is out. And the reason is, I hadn't realized this. I looked, the Pirates have a killer June schedule, which usually, you know, I, I figure you're right, it's better to get the, the tough, you know, the tough segment out of your, uh, you know, out of the season early. So they're currently playing the Marlins as we're recording this, and they'll either have gone two and four against the Marlins or one and three. So that's that's not a fantastic start. But then I'm looking at the rest of the month. Hang on, and they get. I think Alex, aren't they playing? Is it next weekend? Yeah, Pittsburgh we come to town Coast? next week on Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. Yeah, and then, wait, the MLB.com site, I, I, I think I've perturbed it somehow. But every team they're playing the rest of the month is uh, above 500. And here we go. They're playing, oh, no, they get the Angels, three games against the Angels at home. But then it's after that, Mets, they play one game against the Rockies, which isn't that a great club, but they have to play a Wednesday evening game against the Mets at home. They have to fly out for a 5-10 p.m. game against the Rockies Thursday, then they fly back Friday to start the season or the series against the Cardinals. And then after that, they're playing uh, Mets, Cubs, Giants, Dodgers, and Mariners. Wow. So I think this is, if they can stay within hailing distance of wild card, I think they're going to be pretty well set up. Well, Rob, real quick, I'm going to make you feel a little bit better. So we have we play the Giants. Right. Um, and then we go to Cincinnati, so that's nice. Sorry, right. Um, and then we go to Pittsburgh. Um, but then we, we have the Astros at home, the Rangers at home. We go, to, we go to play the Cubs, and then we go to Seattle, and then we close out the month with uh, four games against the Royals. So we don't have it that easy either. Wow. Yeah, and Houston is – playing like they did last year yeah. okay all right i looked at i looked at at the cardinals schedule and i thought it was it was uh, is the game against the reds must have thrown me off <laughs> <laughs> it'll do that I, you look at the nl standings right now i mean admittedly there's a lot of baseball to play but that the wild card push in the nl this it could be crazy oh yeah, the season. yeah. Uh, yeah. well i remarked earlier today that i was almost cheering for the cubs over the Dodgers today because I'm looking more at the Dodgers as our competition for a potential wild card spot and kind of already throwing away the, the division. Yeah. yeah. Dodgers be a dog fight. Yeah. The Mets will be there. The Dodgers will be there. Uh, Miami's 28 and 25. That won't yeah. last, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be four or five teams in the hunt for those two spots. Likely. Uh-huh. Um, well, why don't we wrap up? Uh, Alex, I'd be remiss. Rob, feel free to chime in if we didn't get your uh, NBA Finals pick on Game 1 tonight. Well, I turned the game off because I don't want to get distracted. So this is all without seeing what's happening right now. So as far as I know, the Warriors could be up by 20. Um, I, I really want the Cavs to win it, but I think the Warriors are going to win this thing in five. Do you want to know the score? I, well, I just turned it on. I see Doris Burke's talking to Tyrone Lue, but if you have the score with you. 28-24 Warriors into the first. 
Okay. So, I yeah, I've never been a big LeBron fan, but for some reason, Draymond flipped a switch in me over the past few weeks that it's gotten a lot harder to root for the Warriors. So I'd be happy with either. I just feel like Cleveland needs this, man. Cleveland does need this. I would not be too disappointed for them. Yeah. Rob, are you an NBA fan at all? No, I grew up um, in Minnesota where we didn't have an NBA team. So, And they kicked me out because I didn't like hockey. So, <laughs> you know, the, the winter sports sort of passed me by. Uh, I agree, though. You know, I feel bad for the city of Cleveland. I got friends there. Like to see him win, but I think it's going to be tough. Yeah. So yeah. why don't we wrap up with this? Uh, I'll let you say bye. Why don't you let people know uh, where they can find your stuff, if there's anything you've recently written or got coming up that you're excited about, uh, and we'll kind of wrap up. So, Alex, why don't you kick us off? Okay. Um, you can find um, stuff I write at Viva Alberto's. Uh, that's a Cardinals blog. I wrote something today about the Cardinals um, run differential. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at AlexCard79. Hey, Rob. That's it. Yeah, I'm uh, Twitter Cran underscore boy, C-R-A-N underscore boy. Um, I write at Banish to the Pen and I occasionally have things up on Baseball Prospectus. And a few weeks ago, I started at Banish to the Pen what will be a weekly feature, except there's one Monday when I'm going to be out of town and won't be able to do it, um, which is trailing 30, looking at the hottest and coldest teams, hitters, and pitchers over the last 30 days. Kind of interesting way of just looking at what's going on in baseball. Okay, cool. Yeah, and like I mentioned, I'm Eric Roseberry. Uh, you can find my stuff at Red Reporter. Uh, it's a Cincinnati Reds uh, blog. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric D. Roseberry. Uh, just yesterday, I you look for things to be excited about. So I've created an imaginary baseball division. I'll be tracking all season where I took the four worst teams in baseball, uh, Padres, Reds, Twins, and Braves. Uh, and so I'll be doing a weekly update there. You can actually head to my Twitter account and vote on the division name, uh, which has changed over the past few minutes. So do that uh, if you'd like. Uh, and again, uh, check out Banish to the Pin. Uh, check out the main Banish to the Pin podcast. Uh, which runs weekly, uh, and make sure to keep up with us uh, as we talk about the NL Central all season long. So we will see you guys next week.